married to a woman with exactly the same colour of hair as me uh, <laughs> sitting over here. It's, it's remarkable. Now, um, there was a time when we, we thought we were the only ones. I mean, I mean, how often, even in our country, which is you know, more densely populated with gingers than any other country on the planet, how often do you come across a fully ginger family? Um, and, and before we had, before we had kids, there was, you know, there, was, there was some Googling that went on. You know, what are the, what are the odds that we're facing here? Uh, but, uh, but I've got to tell you, two kids in, two little girls, it's, it's 100%. 100% ginger. Uh, so... Uh, people, people also keep saying that ginger, gingerism, if indeed it is an ism, and I think it is, uh, is, is, is on the decline. Uh, so, so we're obviously doing our bit uh, <laughs> to maintain the numbers uh, across the world. Uh, so my name is Phil. Uh, I am, I'm an English teacher in Glasgow, where obviously English is considered a modern language. Uh, it's, uh, it's a challenge. Uh, at times. Uh, it's, it's, it's lovely, lovely to be here in, in Edinburgh. Uh, last time we were in Edinburgh as a, as a family, I don't know, but if, you, if you're not from Edinburgh, every time I come, come to Edinburgh, I feel like I'm more of a grown-up just for being in Edinburgh. Does anybody else have that experience? <laughs> uh, and and when, I, uh, when we were last here as a family, we were through for, for, the, for the festival. We tried to come through you know, every year, you know, big cultural experience for the Glaswegians uh, come through, come through to the to the festival. And we were looking for something, you know, to take our kids to something, you know, something family friendly, something wholesome, fun. You know, unfortunately, Frankie Boyle's gig was sold out, so uh, we we ended up going for the Tiger Who Came's, Came to Tea. Did anybody go and see the Tiger Who Came to Tea? Did you you did. You have young kids too. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you didn't see it, then you may well know the story. It's quite a famous ch children's story. And I've read it many, many times uh, to my daughter, Maisie. But it was only when I saw it performed before my eyes, I realized what a dreadful, dreadful, amoral story the tiger who came to see truly is. I mean, for those of you who are not aware, the narrative is essentially that, you know, that, that a tiger arrives at the house of a little girl, Sophie, and her mum. They're having breakfast, and there's a knock at the door, and it's not the milkman, uh, it's not the postman, it's not daddy, because he, he's got his key, he's off to work. Uh, it is, in fact, a, a tiger. Now, now, I don't know about you, but, you know, as, as a parent myself, I mean, I think even... Even a basic knowledge of parenting would set some kind of alarm bell going at that point. You know, maybe a, a courtesy call to the RSPCA. You know, Edinburgh Zoo, for example, might be a good person uh, to make contact with. But, but no, no, in surely what must be considered to be one of the worst parenting decisions imaginable, Sophie's mum asks him in. And he comes. Come on in, have a seat. And then, of course, the, the tiger... Um, it, you know, helps himself to all the food in the cupboards, you know, and all the food in the, 
all the dinner in the pot. And, 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 and largely, you know, he, he eats all the food in the house and then he drinks all the drink in the house, including rather implausibly all the water in the taps. I mean, that, that sounds to me... It's funny, as a kid, you never question these things. Really? All the water in the taps. Uh, and, then, and then he leaves, you know, without even, without even tidying up, you know. I mean, here I am, trying to get my toddler, Maisie, you know, to just to do at the minimal tidying, you know, in our house. And here we have a great big furry tiger just giving the worst possible moral. You know, you can do what you like, and then you leave. And they'll have to tidy up after you. And you know, I, was, I was thinking about this as, you know, as I was watching this, and then what I realized was, really, the tiger who came to tea is a sophisticated metaphor <laughs> for having children. <laughs> you have them, you know, and they, they arrive, you know, like they've escaped from a zoo. <laughs> you know, within about 20 minutes, the place is a wreck. You know, they rinse you of every resource you have, and then they leave. You know, I mean, there were grown men. It wasn't just me who realized it. There were grown men in the Pleasance Courtyard weeping on the conclusion of that as they realized what their life had become. So, so we're hoping, I'm hoping, that today will be a more positive experience than the last time we were there. I can see you're, you're hoping for that as well. Uh, now, I'm, I'm here uh, this morning to introduce to you uh, a little, uh, I suppose, the Alpha course, you know, which is, which is billed, as we've heard, very helpfully. I mean, what about these notices, by the way? I mean, they're some of the best notices I've ever heard in church. I, mean, I just want to say that. If you are from this church, congratulations on these notices. They really are. That was something, really something to behold. Um, uh, yeah, so, so that, of course, is, is, is a course that's been done by millions of people, I think, now, all, all over the world. It's built as an opportunity to explore the meaning of life and, in particular, examine the claims uh, of Christianity. In order to kind of provide a bit of a kind of context for this, um, what I really need to do is tell you a bit about my own journey to faith. Uh, when I was 20 years old, I wanted to see a bit of of the world. You may think that's not unusual, coming from Glasgow, you know, wanting to see if it's all like this. Uh, but but that, that took me to, to Zimbabwe one summer when I was 20. And what I did is I, I volunteered for a while in a street kid's home in a kind of forgotten corner of the city. And, and every morning uh, between 8 and 9 o'clock, um, these little kids who were there would have this thing that they called devotions, where they would, they would worship, they would sing and they would dance. There'd be a lot of laughter, there'd be some tears, they'd pray together. And they would just make this extraordinary noise that would rise uh, across the city as it was waking in the mornings. And next, next to this street kid's home, there was, there was a brothel and the, the women who worked there would swing open the windows and smoke their cigarettes in the morning and, and listen to these little kids as they, as they worshipped every morning. 
And, and, I, and I sat or stood among them for two weeks, you know, feeling like the whitest man in Africa. <laughs> Which, you know, I, should, I, I mean, if I wasn't the whitest, I may have been the pinkest, but, you know, one of the two. <laughs> and, and at the end of the two weeks, or sometime in these two weeks, I, I had this, this feeling, and it was this, that actually... I was the poor one. These kids, you know, between 5 and 15, they, they all had dreadful stories to tell of, of abandonment and of the worst kinds of abuse that you could imagine from the people who you would most expect to protect them in the world. And yet, um, when I stood among them, what my feeling was, was that you have something that is so valuable. And so valuable that I, I feel my own poverty in your presence. And you have something so valuable that I want to, I want to give everything that I have. I want to give my life if I could just have this one thing that you've got. And so what I did a couple of weeks later when I had a quiet moment is, is I sat down under a mango tree, as it happens when I was in Mozambique, and I prayed a really simple prayer. And, and the prayer was something like this. It was like, Jesus, I think I actually believe that you exist. And by that stage, I kind of gathered enough from other people around me to know that Jesus' death has something to do with my forgiveness. That, that something in what happened, you know, 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, had some, in some way kind of, was him taking some kind of consequences for me, for the mistakes that I've made in my life. And, and, and that his, his resurrection... It's the story of, the, of, of his death and resurrection. His resurrection in some way suggested that I could have a new kind of life. A life that wasn't run on the old assumptions and kind of headed in the same direction. Now you might be sitting there thinking, that is a ridiculous story. Uh, but actually, you haven't heard the most ridiculous part of it yet. Because the ridiculous part, most ridiculous part is this, that when I stood up from under that mango tree, having said that prayer, I felt that I had become almost a different person. I felt changed in a fundamental way to the point where I kind of was seeing the world differently. It was quite a shocking thing, really. I mean, imagine a Glaswegian far from home and suddenly thinking, what was happening to me? And I, I kept thinking that maybe this is just because I'm in a foreign country and, you know, maybe I've eaten something dodgy. Maybe I'll go back to normal once I've got my healthy staple of fried foods. You know, and, <laughs> and yet, you know, here I am at the ripe old age of 34. I know, I look younger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
and I haven't gone back. Now, you might dismiss a story like that, and you're very free to. You're very free to dismiss a story like that as just the experience of one man. But I think it's interesting that in our kind of increasingly technological and sophisticated world, that the idea of, of God and Jesus, I think in particular, is actually he's very difficult to dismiss entirely. You know, he just kind of keeps coming back into the consciousness of society and us as individuals. And I wonder why that might be. And I have, I have three kind of suggestions as to why God is difficult. God and the notion of God is actually quite a difficult thing to dismiss. And the first is this. It's the concept of justice. You long for a better world than this. You know, some of you, because you're really nice people, you are actively working to make this world a better place. You're doing stuff, you're giving your time, you're longing to see change happen, and it grieves you when you watch the news and you see dreadful things happening in the world and your cry is one of justice. And that is a kind of primal thing, isn't it, in people? I mean, my toddler is very, very she has a very highly and sophisticated sense of justice. And so we all do, and I wonder where that comes from. Because it's problematic, isn't it? Because, because although we achieve, maybe in some areas, improvements to the world as we work for them, that we often have a sense that we'll never be able to sort the whole thing out. And some of the reason for that, of course, is because we, we kind of know that we'll never really be able to sort ourselves out. Because, you see, when we talk about justice and injustice, we can't just talk about them and us. We have to include ourselves in it. And the line of justice and injustice runs right through us. We know that we are capable of behaving unjustly as well as behaving justly. It's problematic. And yet we have this longing for something more. The second thing I think that makes an idea of God difficult to, to dismiss is this notion of spirituality, which many people have. Not all, but many people. This sense that there is something more to life. There's got to be something more to life than this. You know, there was a time, you know, maybe about 50 years ago, where many, many social commentators were saying, you know, religion, ideas of faith, the human race is growing beyond these things. You know, we are, we are reaching a greater level of sophistication and we are saying goodbye to stuff like this. The poet Philip Larkin wrote a poem which some of you may have had the misfortune to have been told to study for A-level called uh, Church Going which, as the title suggests, is, is in part about going to church, but in part about the fact that church is going from society. Do you know there are fewer and fewer people talking that way now? 
I read interestingly a report that said that London, which is the place where the population is growing most quickly in our nation, is also the place where church attendance and faith is now, has turned a corner. There are now more people becoming Christians every year than abandoning it as an idea. We have a sense, even though it's vague, many of us, that there is something more to life. That it is not met with Netflix and shopping and football. You particularly, you particularly realize that it's not met by football if you're a Rangers fan. <laughs> As I am. I mean, Netflix and shopping, don't get me wrong. They could be great. And often that vague sense of spirituality is kind of tempered by the fact that, you know, really we just want to sit on the sofa and watch a movie. But still there's this sense that I, I feel I'm more than this. That just won't go away. And to further complicate things, we have to acknowledge that actually some spirituality is, appears to be rather unhelpful to the world right now. And it's, caught, it's led to some people saying that actually religion is the main problem with the world. If we could only get rid of that, everything would be fine. And yet, at the same time, this thing never leaves us. I feel I'm more than this. I feel there is more to life than this. The third reason I think that the idea of God is hard to dismiss is because of relationships. That we have the sense that we are made for one another. We are made to form relationships of lots of different kinds, but loving relationships where we are committed to one another. And yet at the same time, we find this incredibly difficult. And actually our, our lives are often populated by broken relationships that cause us extraordinary pain. We know that we are not made just for ourselves. We know that we are made for relationships and yet, these relationships, when they go wrong, can cause us pain like nothing else in our lives. And even when they do go well, even when we form these lasting commitments, we have this creeping sense as we get older of the reality that one day these commitments must end. That we can't be together forever, although we want to be. And that death is the thing that brings down the curtain on all our commitments and all our relationships. We know it and we fear it and there is nothing we can do about it. But we feel this need, this desire. What does Jesus say about these sorts of things? Does he have anything to contribute to this discussion? What about justice? 
You see, many people would say that what, what Christianity, the caricature of Christianity, see, what it is really about is, you know, making a decision that will, you know, give you some kind of sense of, you know, uh, comfort. Uh, because you, you'll know that you can do what you want and you'll still go to heaven. But actually... To really get to know what Christianity is about is to be discomforted. Because really what Jesus is about is at least as much as ensuring people go to heaven is about making sure heaven comes to earth. Which is why the Lord's Prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He is very concerned about justice. And that thing in you that is concerned about that is from him. C.S. Lewis said a very famous thing. He said, there is a God-shaped hole in the hearts of people. And that is true. But I tell you what is also true. There is a U-shaped hole in this world. There are things for you to do. There is a world for you to change. Jesus is on a mission to make this world right. And he's given you the chance to get on board. That vague sense in yourself of spirituality. C.S. Lewis said another thing. He said this, if I find in myself a desire that this world cannot fulfill, the simplest reason is that I was not made for this world. What about relationships? Relationships with each other. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is our way back to the central relationship that has been broken throughout the world. The relationship between us and the Father of all things. You are loved by a God that is not distant, that is not uh, a headmaster, sitting behind a desk, wagging a finger, pointing out where you have failed. You are loved by a tender-hearted Father who longs to embrace you, who longs to make right the things that have gone wrong, the broken... Some of us have experienced dreadful brokenness in relationship. And we're looking for... You know, is there any comfort out there? Is there any way through this? I mean, I know that I can just forget about it. I can numb the pain through different ways. But is there, is there any way through? Is there any healing available? Is there a, a relationship of such love, of such assurance, of such intensity, of such commitment that it will heal my broken heart? Friends, Jesus says there is. 
Do you know, um, when I was in California a few years ago, we went to see the redwood trees. I don't know if you've ever seen the redwood trees in California or if you've seen photos of the redwood trees in California, but some of these uh, trees are, I mean, they're at least the width of this stage. And they are hundreds and hundreds of feet tall. They're absolutely colossal. And um, I went to see them, and they grow in groves in, in California, Northern California. And they're just magnificent. And some of them are thousands of years old. And uh, when I went to see them when I was on holiday, I came home, and I had this thought, wouldn't it be cool to grow one in my back garden? <laughs> and, and so I, I sent away for some redwood seeds on the internet. I mean, I was expecting something to come back about the size of a beach ball. In fact, what came back was this little tiny packet of seeds. And you could probably fit, I would say, four or five of them on a five pence piece. Absolutely minuscule. I mean, I thought they'd made a mistake. That these colossal structures that, that soar into the heavens that sustain life for creatures all around and live so long, it's almost as if they live forever. That they could come out of that little seed. Do you know, there is a life for you that is like that, that is so wonderful and so altogether of a different order a life of love, a life where you get to play this extraordinary part in transforming this world, a life that goes on forever, but not just in length, but in quality, an eternal life that starts now, that's waiting for you, just like the little seed we can't even imagine. But it is what is promised. Jesus speaks to these deep needs for justice, for relationship, for spirituality. And he loves you. You see, in the final analysis, Christianity, and I know that you, we have, there are lots of objections, you know, uh, it's not about the Crusades, or American neoliberalism, you know, or Roman Catholic teaching on contraception. You know, that is not fundamentally what Christianity is about. Christianity is about a man who 2,000 years ago walked around what would then have been considered a rural backwater of the Roman Empire, a nowhere place. Paisley, if you will. <laughs> Apologies if anyone's from Paisley. And he said something absolutely ludicrous. He said he was God. He said he was the one who knows you, who numbers the hairs on your head, who threw the stars into space. 
He said he loved you. Unbelievably, a large number of people seem to believe him. And, and a large number of people seem to be prepared to lose their life within a very short time of his ministry coming to a close because they would not go back on the truth that he wasn't his God. And so that truth spread throughout the known world very quickly to this day where there are hundreds of millions of people all across the world who will tell a similar story to the one I've told you this morning about how Jesus changed their life. Friends, this is either the greatest hoax in the history of humanity or it's true. Jesus cannot be easily dismissed as a teacher, just a good man, because good people don't go around telling people that they're God. That is something that bad people do or crazy people do. And so no matter how we may wish to dismiss Jesus easily, we find that he wriggles out from underneath these traps. However much the Christian church, which at times has had very little to do, it seems, with the man Jesus and what he taught, he wriggles out from underneath our religiosity, our rule-keeping, our desire to look good and be a person of reputation in our community who, you know, is a church elder. He wriggles out from underneath these traps. What are you going to do with Jesus? You see, that's the real question. What are you going to do with this man? I read, um, I read in somewhere that um, in our lifetimes we will spend something like 40 days on the toilet. Can you imagine that? 40 days in the toilet. Some of you were very shocked about that figure. I mean, obviously some will spend longer than others, you know, and maybe a good five of these days will just be, you know, checking some texts or something like that. 40, 40 days in the toilet, wow. The Alpha course is a 10-week course. A couple hours a night. Okay, maybe 20, 20 hours. Maybe, let's call it one day. Okay, you're going to spend 40 days of your life on the toilet. Now, I think if even you've got like a maybe, maybe 5, 10% chance that Jesus might be God, I think that's got to be worth one day. Surely, surely that's got to be worth one day. I mean, come on, I mean, that's just that's, that's sound reasoning. On your seat, you've got one of these. And, and, and there are three 
There are three possible options. Now, it strikes me that there, there is a fourth option, you know, which is just no. Uh, you know, and, and you're very welcome to, to have that option, by the way. But there are three options. First of all, I would like to attend week one of Student Alpha. Second, I'd like to attend week one of the Alpha course. And then, you know, maybe this is just an Edinburgh way of saying no, the third one, really. You know, if, if it was in Glasgow, there would be a no followed by an expletive. <laughs> uh, but we're in Edinburgh, so instead we say, I can't come this week, but I do want to know more about Alpha. I don't really, I don't really. And then there's some details. And I want to give you an opportunity now to fill this in. Now, what, 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 what are we doing with them after we fill them in, Dan? Do we know? We're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song. Okay. Perhaps it's... I mean, you can see now why I don't do the notices at my church <laughs> and why I was so impressed at the notices at this church. I think probably what would be best for everyone if I just sat down now uh, and, and, and let the administration of this very important thing uh, to people who know more about it, these things than I do. But listen, if there's even a 1%, even a 1%, half a percent, how, how, sure you, how sure are you that you're right? Even a 1%, 1%. Chance that this, you know, this could be what life's about. Wow. got to be worth investigating, eh? Listen, thank you so much for listening. You've been extremely polite. I know I'm, I'm a teacher. I normally speak to people who shout things at me, throw things. You know, they're clearly not listening, you know? You can, you can't, I can't tell you how happy you've made me today just by, <laughs> just by putting on these very nice, polite, attentive faces. Some of you some of you probably stopped listening after a couple of minutes, but it felt like you were listening. <laughs> and that made me very happy. Thank you, thank, you, thank you for listening. And as we sing this song, please think about it. Where are you? And take one of these boxes. Okay, thank you.